people of Israel had to wait 40 years, slowly walking through wilderness desert. I've waited a long time. I've waited a long time for Amazon packages. <laughs> and don't get me started on DoorDash and Uber Eats. They do not get it there in 30 minutes. But to wait 40 years. Not in a oasis or somewhere like San Diego where we see the palm trees and we've got the ocean, the desert, the wilderness. At the, the peaks of the summer months, it would bake hotter than 130 degrees. And in the cold winter months, dip below freezing, wandering aimlessly for 40 Years, 40 years is a very, very, very long time. And I think that when we look at the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, it doesn't sound as long as 400 because they were slaves for 400 years. It's true. But after they came out of Egypt, they were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, to bring this into context, you guys, I'm 31 years old. So if I was born in this time, I, would know no, I wouldn't have experienced Egypt. I wouldn't have known about the Red Sea being parted and, and watching God deliver my ancestors and there's places in the Red Sea that are up to a quarter mile deep. So these walls of water going up, I wouldn't have crossed that. And so I'm going to have a little fun with this for a moment. So my parents are actually here. They have, they've been married almost 40 years, not quite. And so let's just say they met each other coming out of Egypt and they were one of the first weddings to take place. This is all, we're on our way to the promised land. This is an exciting future. We're not raising our kids in slavery. We're going to take them to the promised land like he's promised. So they get married, and it's a great celebration, and then they start having kids. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, they had six kids. None of these kids would know about Egypt. All of six of these kids would grow up in the middle of the desert. That's all they would know. And as time goes on, these kids grow up like myself. They grow up and they get married and they start having kids. So now you have multiple generations that never saw the miracles in Egypt and are just wandering around waiting for God to bring you into the promised land, but you don't really know, like, okay, so he provides this weird food on the ground for us every morning. But that's it. We don't have good, we don't have good food. In fact, my, my ancestors, the people, they complain about how good the food was back in Egypt. So all I'm hearing is, oh yeah, there's this God that's leader of this promised land. We used to be slaves, and actually it was a little better back then. Forty years is a very, very long time to wait. Now they were there because they didn't just 
wander for no reason for 40 years. If you guys know the story, great. If you don't, I'll quit cue you in. But God delivers them from, delivers them from Egypt. This journey between Egypt and what would be Jerusalem or the promised land is not very far. And they get there after about almost a year of time. It takes time, especially with all kids and stuff like that. But they've been traveling, and they go through the wilderness, and they get right on the edge. And they're like, we're here. Let's send in some people to scout it out. And so they send in 12 people. Ten of them come back and go, oh, I don't know if, I, I don't know if God can do this. Had they already forgotten that he split the Red Sea? And they grumbled, and they complained, and they actually threatened to kill the people that came back going, oh, God, God's got this. They're like, no, 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 let's, let's take those guys out. And then God speaks, and he goes, because you guys have treated me this way and these faithful people this way, you're going to wander for 40 years. You're right on the edge. You're there. 40 years Sure, God did some amazing things in Egypt. If I'm just a, a normal person now, I'm a part of Israel, I'm like, okay, so I hear these cool stories, but that's not true for me. All my life has been miserable. I'm stuck in the desert. How quickly are we to forget what God has done? And I say that because we are a part of this conversation. How quickly are we to move from this situation in my life to the next and just simply dismiss or choose to forget what God's already done? But here they are. They've wandered for 40 years. And they're actually going to go into the promised land now. Okay. This is time. This is a good thing. Let's get our stuff. Let's go. All right. We got it together. We're going. Wait. We've got a river. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4 this morning. And the Jordan River is what separates the Israelites and what will be the promised land. Now the promised land is still inhabited by a bunch of people that God's going to deliver, but the obstacle right in front of them is the Jordan River. And it's a big river. And you've got little kids and families and herds and all, you know, just a big civilization. This is no easy feat. And so what God instructs him, he's like, let me show you. This is, this is a precursor. I'm going to go ahead of you. And this is how you're going to know that I am leading you into the promised land. I want you to take the priests with the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to step into the water. And as they step in, the water gets dammed up upstream. And it provides a large, dry surface for the people to cross on. And so they, they cross over. We'll pick it up. Chapter 4. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones here out of the middle of the Jordan. Okay, this is cool, because I just read over this. I've, I've just read over this for a lot of years. He instructs them, Don't take twelve stones. Don't take 12 stones from this side. Don't take 12 stones from this side. Take 12 wet, slimy stones in the middle of the Jordan because you need to remember this miracle. 
take 12 stones from the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight on the other side safely. Why? Why did they do this? This seems odd. Verse 6, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial for the sons of Israel forever. Why did they do this? Because the people of Israel didn't know this yet, but as soon as they cross this river, they're entering enemy territory. And there's actually going to be some very, very difficult times for them ahead. And it's not going to be easy. And a lot of lives are going to be lost. And so I need, I need you to remember right here and right now that I am the God who I say I am in the middle of this miracle, in the middle of the Jordan River. You've just spent 40 years in the wilderness. How quickly were you, for, were you to forget what I did in Egypt? Never again remember what I have done here. Guys, we must recognize God's work in the, in the middle. We need to remember it here. We need to remember today because we don't necessarily know what's coming next. I just, we just took students up to Hume Lake and there's the mountain high or the Hume high we call it because why? We take all the students away from their distractions, away from their lives here, and we take them up an incredibly beautiful mountain. We surround them with amazing, awesome worship, with speakers that know the Bible and are much smarter than me, and they provide all this awesome insight, and there's time for them to connect in a cabin and do all this great stuff, and they're loving each other, they love God, they're diving into their word, and that's the Hume High. Why? Because they've taken a week to focus on God. But then what happens? I watch it happen in seconds and minutes coming down the mountain as soon as cell phone service comes back. We can chuckle, but it's actually not very funny. How quickly are we to forget what God did up the mountain? I'm just as guilty. I go, oh boy, check my email. Anything that I miss while I'm gone, got to catch up on. How quickly are we to forget what God's done? So we need to remember right now because there may be a time coming where it will be much harder to remember. There may be a time coming where you have a seat in a hospital waiting room. sit and you sit and you've been praying for a very very long time the doctor comes in and says she has cancer no no anything anything but that 
No. Literally anything. Tell me anything other than that. My prayers soon become from God provide for us, you know, that type of thing to God, give it to me. Anything. Anything other than what you just told me. And so what do I do? I go, all right, there's got to be something in here. And so I, 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 I turn my pages and I'm like, okay, Psalm 145. Psalm 145 and some of my family was there and some friends. Is, and I'm frantically kind of reading, trying to make sense of everything, trying to make sense of this God that I've said I've served for so long, but now it's just not making sense. And it's, oh, great of the Lord God, highly of praise. One generation will praise you, blah, 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 to create your mighty acts. Yeah, this is all good, God, miracles, blah, blah, blah. All, yes, it's amazing. Get to verse 8. Then the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. And I look up and I go, guys, I believe God is merciful, but this does not feel like mercy. Perhaps some of you have waited in that hospital room or that lobby. Perhaps some of you have been trying to have a kid for many, many years. For whatever reason. God, why, why not? Why can't, we have a, why can't we have a little baby? Maybe you've never been married. God, would you just provide a spouse for, why, why, why me? Perhaps you're young and you've been listening to your parents fight over in long, long night hours and you're like, God, would you just stop, stop the fighting? It's important for us to set up these stones in the middle of the good, awesome miracles because there's going to be times in our life where we're stuck in places like a hospital waiting room. Guys, I spend actually quite a bit of time, like, what, what, do, what do I say after six years of being here? If anyone doesn't know, I'm going to be literally moving tomorrow at, like, 4 a.m., start the drive to Boston. Uh, what, like, God, what, 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 is, what is there to say? I, I don't know. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, I know exactly to say. Turn to Ecclesiastes 12. I love, I love, I love, I love Ecclesiastes because the author of Ecclesiastes is a smart, sharp person. And it's not just some like, oh, well, God is just good and like this all the time. No, no, no. The author of Ecclesiastes, he didn't wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He had the life. This guy's wise, he's wealthy, he's rich, he, he indulged on all the finest drinks and food. He spared no expense, it says, to live a luxurious life, all the best resorts and spas. All the sexual experiences I could ever want or dream of, I'm going to indulge them. And he comes to this conclusion where he's like, it's no, there's, nothing, there's nothing here. 
And so after all of the searching and digging and wrestling, we get to the conclusion, which is Ecclesiastes 12. And he says this, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Guys, I've experienced so many days and months and years where I go, I do not delight in this. This is not a delightful place. What some of you guys have been through is not a delightful place. So the author actually is quite intuitive here. He goes, remember your creator in the days while you're young, while you're experiencing good things, while you're on this Hume Lake type experience, while you're learning and growing and learning about this God, or as you walk through the Jordan River and it's all dry and you've seen this miracle, make a memorial. Remember this because there's going to be times that are coming and it might not be too long off. Or if we don't remember here, we're going to forget over here we'll be all too quick to forget what God has done and we'll move on. There may be times for you guys that will be hard, that will make it hard to remember why believing in Jesus is worth it or remembering what he's done for each one of you. And I can say that because I've been there and I've been stuck there or the gripping fear of anxiety or depression just keeps you stuck. Remember, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moons and the stars are all darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop and the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through the windows grow dim. These are dark days. There'll be, there'll be storms and tragedies. Remember him now because times will be coming where it will be easy to abandon him. Remember now, verse 6, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. But before all of our wealth that is making us feel good about ourselves, before that's all lost and ruined, remember him now. Church, gentlemen, ladies. Would you remember him now? And I, uh, I've had the privilege of being here for six years, and I calculated out approximately how many words I've shared with the students over Bible studies, sermons, teachings, all that, my entire time here. In my attempts to communicate the gospel, to help them remember 1,580,000 words over the course of six years, 1,580,000. And as I'm up at Hume Lake with the students, and I'm, I mean, I'm emotionally, I'm saying my goodbyes up there, right? Like, this is, this is happening. And I'm like, guys, if I could summarize 1,580,000 words to one word, I'm going to give you that same word that I gave to them. If there's just one word 
My, and my life has been messy. It's been difficult. It's not perfect. Like, it's just one word. It's Jesus. It's this guy, Jesus. Identified in Scripture as the Son of God. It's this guy, Jesus, that I'm going to ask you to consider remembering right now. You see, we have to remember him in the mundane, in the everyday. I, tr- I, I truly believe this, you guys. I, I don't, like, I, so many people have come up to me like, your faith has just been so amazing and it's been so much fun to watch and just so impacted by it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's great. I do not feel like that at all. I don't feel like I'm some sort of crazy faith person. But I will tell you this. I had to remember what God had done in my life prior to this moment because when I get in this moment, there's nothing good here. I have to remember what he's been back here so when I get in this moment, I'm like, it doesn't all make sense. I don't have some sort of great theological explanation on like all your guys' futures. I can't. I can just tell you God has a purpose, a plan. He loves you very, very dearly. He refuses to give up on you and he will meet you right here when we are prone to forget him. So my question, many of you guys probably noticed, no slides today. I walk in from the back like a weirdo. But I have one question for you. If you're new today, we don't normally do that. How are you going to choose to remember Jesus today? How are you going to choose to remember Jesus today? Because in the moments, you guys, if you, if Matt, put your place in the, the feet of Israel, and you walked across this river. Oh, I'm never going to forget this. No, no, make, make an altar. Remember, oh, no, I, yeah, that's cool, but I'm never going to forget what God did here. I'm never going to forget what he did in my life here. I'm never going to forget. I'm never going to forget what he did in Egypt. I'm never going to forget how he delivered us from there. Oh, wait, it only took him a couple months. Don't try to just do it on your own. I mean this. How are you going to choose to remember Jesus today? And as you go home to your homes your bedrooms, your apartments, your office, wherever it is, something. Write it down. Stick it on a mirror. Tuck it in your Bible. Put it on your nightstand. What is something that you can hold on to and go, I can remember Jesus for this? How will you choose to remember Jesus today? What's really interesting is, well, it's actually quite fascinating, is that now we get, to, we get to take a time together as a congregation to remember Jesus. Our church takes communion every year, or every year. Yeah, we do every year. <laughs> every week. And I think a lot of times, you know, we think of Jesus on the cross and his sacrifice and all that is good. I want to walk you through just quick um, the remembering here. 
All right, because Jesus sat down with his disciples and he knew he was going to be dying soon. In fact, in a couple hours, he's going to actually plead with God to not do it. He didn't want to save us. And I don't think we read that all the time in scripture. He's like, God, literally any other way. I'm not up for this. But your will, not mine. But as he's at this Passover meal, you guys, this Passover meal was set up to remember what? To remember Egypt. So take the bitter herbs and dip them in the salty water so you remember the slavery. You remember the bitterness of slavery. Dip it in the salty water and taste the salt, remembering the tears that were shed in the suffering, in the humiliation. Remember uh, this, this kind of like sweet chutney that they would make. Remember this because this was kind of like the bricks that they would make. And then remember this, they would have the, the, the cups of wine. Remember the blood that was put over the door frames. And what Jesus does here is remarkable. He kind of takes this meal that was so sacred and remembering everything back here. And he's like, I need you to remember something else right now. And he takes the bread. And he breaks it. Because he knew he was about to be broken. And he said, take this bread. This is my body. This is what I'm about to give for you. Do this. Take this. Remember me. Then he takes the wine. And he didn't say, remember, painting it over the door frames. No. He said, this is now my blood. This isn't some blood from a from a one-year-old sheep. This is God's blood. This is something I'm willing to give. And, and tomorrow, the streets are going to be dripping with this blood because of what I came to do for you. And so you can't tell me that God doesn't know how to identify in the mess, in the difficulties, and in a hospital room. Because he was there. He said, take this, take this cup. Do it, what? In remembrance of me. Guys, if there's one word I can leave you with, I told the students this as well. It's Jesus. There is no other person in all of this historical, amazing, inspired book there's, there's, there's no purpose. The author of Ecclesiastes spent all of his time and effort trying to find meaning and purpose and, and fulfillment and pleasure, and he just came up short. Guys, there's nothing out there that's worth it. Would you remember Jesus today? And if you haven't given your life to him or surrendered to him, I'd ask you that you would consider him. It's right here. You're like, I don't believe in all that. Well, that's fine. I'm not going to force you, but I guarantee you, you're not going to find it out there. How are you going to remember Jesus today? The awesome thing is, Jesus has already told us how we can do that, and that's taking our communion elements together. That's how we take that today. But as the students know, communion's great, and a lot of times I I'm like, oh my gosh, I repent of my sins and 
God died for me and my life's a mess, but he still saved me and it's all that. But one of the speakers up at Hume reminded the students and they said, this, this, that's all good, but we don't worship a dead God. We don't worship a bruised, ripped up, crucified Jesus. Yes, we can identify with that. But we worship a God who is alive, who wants to do something with your life today, who wants to give you that purpose and hope and fulfillment, who wants to meet you on the hospital floors. When you go, there is no joy here. God, I don't see a future here. I would have done this a hundred other ways. But he wants to meet you there. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just going to ask if you would consider to remember that. Jesus. We don't just worship you for the 60 minutes or the 24 hours today. We recognize that you have been working for so long and you will continue to work for so long. And as governments and societies change and transitions happen and people move far away, we recognize that you stay constant and that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us here if we would just lean into it. God, I pray for those who have followed Jesus for a very, very long time. I pray that they would take moments today to remember what you have done so they can pass it on to these younger generations so that the next future of the church would be rooted and founded in your truth and in your love and in your grace. That they would not forget that they could look back on moments in our lives that we could lead them and they could look back and remember and go, oh yeah, that's what God has done. God, help us to use that in our lives, even in the moments where we don't want it to be like that. We don't want our loved ones to suffer. We don't want our families to get split up. God, I pray that you would be near to us in those moments. God, we thank you for Jesus, his work on the cross, his never-ending love to each one of us. Jesus' name.